Heavenly Father, today, as we open your word, as we think about our calling, may you tailor make every word that I say to be something powerful for each person that's here. Allow us to just hear your voice and hear your calling today. In Jesus' name, amen. In my last semester at Southern Adventist University, I got to do the same thing every senior theology major gets to do. It's called field school. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's where the senior theology majors get hands-on work during an evangelistic crusade. Now, Mark Finley, I don't know if you've heard of him before. Do you know Mark? Yeah, that's very timid. Do you know Mark Finley? That's more like it. Yes, he's a legend and an incredible man of God. He was doing a a series in Chattanooga, and some of the pastors in the surrounding churches wanted to do that as well, and they grabbed the senior theology majors and offered their churches for us to preach a series with Mark Finley. It was the coolest thing ever. Mark would come to uh, our—we would do our classwork during the day, and he would teach us, and then in the evenings we would go and preach in our churches. Now, my church— was in Eider, Alabama, the OMB Chapel, Seventh-day Adventist Church, up on top of Sand Mountain, just a little country church. If you imagine a country church, this is the church that I was in. It's 100% that church. Little white church. Uh, There was about 20 members, and uh, if if we were lucky, that was on a high Sabbath. Uh, It was a great church, warm and welcoming. Billy Mitchell was the pastor there, and he invited me in. And so for five nights a week, for four weeks, I preached the message about Jesus. It was awesome. We had all sorts of technical difficulties. Some nights the projector wouldn't work. Uh, Some nights, this one night specifically, I brought my laptop and I plugged it in and I put it into a power strip, and I was preaching along, and my computer just shut down. And it was because I never turned the power strip on. My computer had run out, and I completely forgot the rest of the sermon. I had no idea what to preach, so I turned it into a 15-minute uh, um, altar call appeal, and nobody came forward. <laughs> this is a pastor's worst nightmare. Out there preaching. In that church, there was a guy that sat in the back row. His name was Dr. Rice. I hope you don't know him. Uh, great man. But any time that I had a mispronunciation or got a date wrong, he would stand up in the back and he'd say, That's not correct! Don't be a Dr. Rice today, okay? You in the back, I see you. <laughs> it was awesome that we would, I could be there and preach and just share this gospel message. Towards the end of this month, I went with Pastor Billy. We went to uh, these people's house. Here they are. This is uh, Sharon Henry and Ashley, her daughter, Henry. Uh, that's a young pastor there. Can't even get his tie straight. At least I had hair. That's all I can say. <laughs> That's the little O&B chapel. There it is. And uh, we went to their house. There, it, was a, it was a mobile home. And we sat on their front porch. Kind of smelled funny. I think there was a, a, a cigarette ashtray that hadn't been used in a while because their journey to, to know Jesus had been really moving along. And, and Billy and I sat there and Billy shared uh, their story with me about how the Holy Spirit has really been moving in their hearts. And they'd been coming every night to the meeting. And at the final Sabbath of this series, this is what happened. Here it is. Here's the picture. There's Sharon. There's Ashley. There's Billy's nose right there in the, in the corner. And uh, those were my very first two baptisms. And, and as they came up out of the water and their face was soaking wet from the water, my face was soaking wet too with tears running down. They'd heard the message and they responded to it. And as I think about the journey of our church, of being more than just a once-a-week church, 
we have to go back to the basics to understand what the message is too. Now, I don't know how this will come across this morning, and some of you, it might, it might uh, step on your toes a little bit, but that's okay, because I trust the Holy Spirit and how He moves, and I think He'll tailor-make it to you. But let's think about the message, the message of the church. Before Jesus was born, there was this other baby. His name was John. He's the one that the Bible says, this is the one coming before Jesus, the one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. He comes and he begins to preach. Now, here's the thing. His his story is overshadowed by Jesus' story, and it should be. Yet Jesus says that John is the greatest among any woman born ever. John was incredible. In the book of Matthew, it describes the message that he preached. Here it is in Matthew chapter 3. It says this. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent! for the kingdom of heaven is near. Just imagine this guy wearing camel's hair clothes, this belt around his waist. I mean, this guy ate locusts and honey. Probably smelled bad, probably had some weird hair going on. Here he is down by the river, and he's preaching the gospel message. He's saying, we are sinners and we need a savior. Repent, because the kingdom is coming. People come down. Uh, They get baptized, and one day John looks up and he sees Jesus standing there, coming down into the water, and John says, no, 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 no. You should baptize me. I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. But Jesus, showing us the natural progression of of a journey with Jesus, he shows us what it looks like by taking that step of baptism and commitment. And he comes down into the water. John baptizes him. Uh, The heavens open, and you hear the voice of God saying, that's my boy. Or in the King James Version, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. (laughs) The Holy Spirit comes down as a dove, and you can see the Trinity all right there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at one place at one time. Jesus, done with his baptism, he goes into the desert. He's tempted just in the same way that uh, when we make decisions for Jesus, the devil comes and tempts us. And the very next part in the Bible, in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 4, it describes what Jesus did. Here's what it says. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, and he preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's the same thing. He says, you're sinners— You need to turn from that and accept the Savior, and the kingdom is coming soon. The kingdom is here. Just like John, Jesus preached about this kingdom. He preached about the king that's in the kingdom. He preached about the king that wants you to know him so well. He preached the message about knowing the king. And everybody, as they think about this king and this kingdom, they said, well, when is the kingdom coming? And who is this king? And Jesus, he tells us as he's thinking about the times of the end, the signs of the end, he says in Matthew chapter 24, here's what he says. He says, this gospel will, of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. He says, Jesus is coming, the king is coming, be ready and know him. It's the message of this soon coming king. Now here's the thing. Jesus and John were preaching to Jews, and Jews were unbelievable people, and they were really, really good at doing things. They were really good at doing church. They were really good at doing what they were supposed to do. In fact, they'd read the scriptures. They followed the rules because they wanted to be ready for this kingdom to come, but the problem was is they were so focused on the rules that they missed the person. In 2016, I got to go to Israel. I wouldn't want to go today, not right now. 
But in 2016, I got to go with Jen, and we, we flew into the town of Tel Aviv, right down there on the, the edge of the Mediterranean Sea, right next, just up the shore from Joppa, where Jonah was. And we got, to, got on the bus, drove to the hotel, we get out of the, 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 the bus, we get into the hotel, check in, and we go over to the elevators. This is just a handful of years ago. And there's two elevators, but they're not the same. You've got one elevator that you press the button, and it just takes you to whatever floor you want. And you've got the other elevator that's called the Shabbat elevator. In fact, here's the picture of the sign. Go this way for the Shabbat elevator. It's modern-day Israel, modern-day Jewish culture, and there's a special elevator for Shabbat, for Sabbath. The buttons are a little different. Here's what the buttons look like. Uh, On the normal days of the week, not Sabbath, you've got the up and down arrow you can press. But on Sabbath, on Shabbat, it's just that top button that's always illuminated. So if you, wanted, if you wanted to ride the elevator on Sabbath and you're a Jew, you go to the elevator and you just stand in front of it and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait. Finally, the doors open and you step into the elevator and there are no buttons. You just let the doors close in front of you. It goes to the second floor, it opens, it closes. It goes to the third floor, it opens, it closes. And every single floor in this 15, 16 floor hotel, it opened all the way up and all the way down. Because in Jewish tradition and culture, on Sabbath, it would be sinning if you pressed a button on Sabbath. And while in no way am I making fun of Jews today, in fact, I think it's really cool that there's a strong desire to honor and obey God. If the rules are what you're focused on and you miss the person, then you missed everything. In Jesus' day, the Jews were hyper-focused on the rules and they found, uh, that they found in the scriptures. Yet Jesus, he flips the script on the scriptures. Here's what he says in John 5. Here's what he says. Jesus says, these scriptures are they that testify about me. He says, it's not about the rules. It's about knowing me. It's about knowing God. The Jews could recite everything that they were supposed to do to be a follower of God, yet they didn't know who God was. They missed the message, and the message was all about knowing the king. The message was about knowing God. The message was about knowing him. It's the gospel message about a savior that loves to give grace, that can't wait to give mercy, and he wants you to know who he really is. You know, if you've been a Seventh-day Adventist for more than a generation, and it's not just an Adventist Uh, situation. If you've been an Adventist for a little while, then you know that we have a past too of doing rather than being. Uh, For a long time, we have been more concerned with knowing things than knowing God. Or we've we've prided ourselves on knowing truth, yet sometimes we've missed the truth. Uh, There are many times where we focused on being right and we've missed being in a relationship with God. And I love the fact that in this church family, the, the Forest Lake church family, I don't get the sense that we are in either extreme. I don't feel like we're ultra conservative or ultra liberal. I feel like we're right down the middle where we want to know God for who he is. And I believe that he's brought you and your family here with your values, with your perspectives, with your outlook, with uh, your spiritual history and your journey for this time, for this place right here, so that we have an unstoppable army of people that can do something powerful in Apopka. I'm ready to be the church here, and I believe God's called you to be a part of that. And our message today is the same message that Jesus preached 
and that John preached, and it's the same message that our Adventist pioneers preached and was, our church was founded on way back when through the three angels' message. It's simply this. Here it is on the screen. Jesus is coming, so know him well. It's a simple message that has to be preached with urgency, like it's a life or death matter. Like it's something that everybody has to know, that Jesus is coming, so know him well. I love that in John chapter 17, we get a glimpse into Jesus' prayer life. He has a prayer that's recorded for all of us to read. And in the very beginning of John chapter 3, he says these words. This is in the contemporary English version because I liked it so well. It says this, Jesus says, eternal life is to know you, Father, the only tr true God and to know Jesus Christ, the one you sent. He says, eternal life isn't just following rules. It's to know who God is in his completeness. It's knowing God. Is it okay if I get on a soapbox this morning? Ooh, that's about 25% of you guys. Dangerous territory this morning. I wonder if in the last decade or so, the church has really changed. I wonder if it's become more and more consumeristic. Uh, I hear it all the time. Well, Pastor Matt, what we really need to focus on is we really need to meet the needs of our people. Or, or Pastor Matt, I, I really come because I want to be fed. And when I hear that, it makes my skin squirm a little bit because it feels so consumeristic. And, it, and I think the consumerism slips not just from church, but I think it slips into the gospel message too where at some level we think that the gospel is all about us, almost as if Jesus uh, should be glad that we exist so that he could come and die for us, like it surrounds us. We, we hear things like, well, Jesus is all you need, and we're right if the goal is just to receive a gift. If the goal is just to receive salvation, then yeah, Jesus is all you need to know about. That's it. But if our goal is only to receive a gift of salvation, isn't that the most narcissistic thing you've ever heard? The consumer view makes salvation about us rather than about Jesus. It makes eternal life and uh, something that we are owed and deserve. And it's a minimalist approach when you look at God. If all we know is what he's given us, then that's the smallest picture of God that you can have. If that's like, Someone, a random person handing you a multi-million dollar lottery ticket. And you take it and you say, thank you. I don't need to know your name. I don't need to know anything about you. All I need to know is that I have the lottery ticket. It's not about being saved. That's not the goal. The goal is about knowing God in his completeness. Everything all about him. You know, several years ago, I was at a, uh, a conference up in Atlanta. It was called the Catalyst Conference. Many of you have been there before. It's, it's a fantastic place where pastors and leaders gather and we worship together and there's speakers and they challenge you and push you and it's, it's just a really powerful time. And, and I went there three days in a row and I sat in the very same seat, the very back row, just kind of by myself, introverted. Uh, there were two pastors next to me. They sat with me all three days. Uh, we, we almost got thrown out because we were laughing so hard. Uh, one, one lady was a, the family pastor at uh, Charles 
Carl Stanley's church, First Baptist Church of Atlanta. She was awesome. Uh, the other pastor was, um, she was, she was from another church about an hour and a half north of Atlanta, a non-denominational church. And, and we sat there together and we worshiped. And, and the last day after the final session, we were getting up to leave. And, and the one pastor on my right, she said, hey, Matt, I know your name, but tell me more about you. And, and I said, oh, yeah, sure. She said, tell me about your church. I said, oh, well, I'm a pastor of the Buford family, Seventh-day Adventist church. And she said, Seventh-day Adventist? Tell me about that. And I said, oh, cool. Well, here's, here's the spiel I always say. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is a, is a um, mainstream Protestant denomination, just like Baptists and Methodists, but there are some differences. And I started to launch into Sabbath and State of the Dead, and she cut me off. And she said, well, you believe in Jesus, right? I said, well, yeah. And she said, well, I believe in Jesus, and that's all you need to know, and that's it. And I thought, yes. Jesus is the pinnacle and the most important information that you have to know in life. But it's just the tip of the iceberg about who God is. That's the smallest part. The message that we're to share is super clear. It's about Jesus coming soon and get to know Him in His completeness. Uh, this, is, this is one of the only places in life that I think it's cool to be an overachiever. Are there any overachievers in the, in the room? You know who you are. You sit on the front. Yes, I see a hand in the back. Excellent. You sit on the front row in class, right? I'm the back row guy. You're the front row guy. I'm the one that makes fun of you for being a nerd, but you get great grades. It's okay. I think this is the place to be an overachiever in life, knowing God the best that you can in the most complete way that you can. He wants you to know everything about him, and he describes his character to you. In fact, he wants you to know that he's a relational God, that once a week for 24 hours, he sets time in his schedule, and he pulls it aside, and he says, this is our time together. I want you to experience Sabbath and know me on it. He wants you to know that you don't have to worry about the afterlife because he's already told you what happens, that you, when you die, you just sleep, and he's coming back to get you soon. He wants you to know all about him. He wants us to know that he's a kind God that doesn't roast people for eternity in hellfire, but it's really just an event that happens at the end of time where it's the natural consequences of sin and sin is gone forever. He wants you to know that he's a generous God, that he gives you everything that you have and you keep 90% of it and you get to give 10% back to him. He wants you to know that he is proud of you, that you can be on his mission. And so he gives you spiritual gifts so that you can do something powerful for him. He wants you to know everything about him, the complete picture of, he, of who he is. He wants you to know it all. So how are we supposed to be the message? You be the mission, be the message. How do you be the message? Jesus puts it this way, and it's not on the screen yet. One of my favorite Bible texts, in fact, Lars, I see you back there. It's one of your favorite Bible texts, too. It's kind of both of our life mottos. It's in Matthew chapter 5, 16, and it says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works, and they praise your Father in heaven. Let them see your life, and let your life be a reflection of the King, and then they will want to know the King. Here's the MSV. This is the Matt Smith version. Let the message of a soon-coming king that you have to know in his completeness be lived in your life every day, in every conversation, in every moment, in every interaction with anyone so that others will want to know him too. Being the message means to make the complete picture of God part of your everyday conversation. 
Being the message means to treat every interaction like it's a holy appointment with somebody. I got a text message from first service of somebody that says, Pastor Matt, I'm convicted. I want to connect with people at the gym that I work out with. That's what this is. That's being the message. Being the message means seizing every opportunity with neighbors and coworkers to tell them about the God that you know. Being the message means in every situation, in every opportunity, whether it's your professional job and your vocation, or it's your day-to-day grind of going to the grocery store and the car wash, let it be an opportunity to share about the God that you know. I want to close with just a story. I think it's a powerful story, maybe one of the most powerful stories I've shared, but it's happening right now. Right now, this is the time. When you go to theology school, undergrad, and you go to seminary and you get your master's, you learn a lot of things about the Bible. And it's good, and you have to know about the Bible. But there's not a whole lot of education or training on things like leadership, or management, or uh, how to read a financial statement, or how to bring people uh, along an idea, how to cast vision. Uh, There's little to know on management at all. And over the last couple of years, we haven't had an administrative pastor. And so some of that weight has come onto my plate, which I don't mind, but it's not my number one skill set. Leading's easy. Taking an organization somewhere, I can do that. Managing, what's that? And so as I've, as I've been faced with some of the managerial stuff here in the church, I thought, I wonder if there are management principles in the business world that can translate into the church so that we can move this church forward in the management pieces that have to go. And so I went online, went on Google, went on Facebook, and I started searching for business coaches. And I thought, I wonder if somebody can come alongside me and coach me a bit. And so I reached out to several, and one replied... It's a coaching company, from, business coaching company from Scotland. Pretty cool. They messaged me and they said, hey, uh, we've never coached a pastor before, so we'll do it for free. <laughs> now, I'm cheap, so I like this. <laughs> and so uh, the person that reached out, her name is Natalie. She's the owner of this company. Here's a picture of her. This is, she goes by Nat, and uh, so she said, yeah, let's, let's start coaching. So we started Zooming back and forth, and it was really cool because she has such a different perspective on, on management and leadership that it was very helpful to me. And so she started asking questions about what the church organization looked like, and how many pastors you have, and, and what are the ministry leaders, and all these different questions. And as she's asking these questions, I realize that she doesn't know very much about church at all. She's from the UK. It's very secular over there. And, and her experience with church is incredibly judgmental people and hypocrites. That's what her picture of the church looks like. And so as she's asking these questions about the Forest Lake Church, she starts asking questions about God too. And at one point, I, I feel the Holy Spirit moving in this conversation. And he says, Matt, it's the time to share the message, man. And so I said, hey, Nat, would you ever want to have Bible studies? And she said, yeah, I would really love that. And so we've been meeting on Zoom, doing some coaching and some Bible studies. Coaching about, here's a picture of us. This is from Thursday. This is us meeting, having Bible studies. Let me, I'll just tell this one story. I didn't tell first service this, so glad you came in second service. Bonus. Uh, When we got to, um, well, first of all, the whole journey through the Bible with her has just been so powerful because when she senses truth, when she uh, experiences something that she knows this is right, she can't help it but cry. And she cries every meeting. She wouldn't care that I told you that. 
uh, when we talked gospel and we talked forgiveness, we, it, just, it was just this emotional wave. And when we get to the state of the dead, we start talking about what happens to people when they die. She'd lost her uncle a few months before, and so it was fresh and raw there. And as we talk about this, and I start sharing the beautiful character of who God is and that you can trust him from birth till after death, I see her start to well up with tears, and I don't really know why she's crying. And so I just let her cry for a moment, and then I just said, Nat, are you sensing incredible loss in your life? Because what you've always known about death, you've seen something that's true? And she says, yeah, all of what I've known isn't right, and now I know truth. The next day, she gets the lesson on the Sabbath. She does this lesson, and she, she messages me, and she says, I'm in. I get it. I'm there. We've just been journeying together over and over again. And here's the best part. In May, Jen and I are flying to Scotland because she wants to get baptized. She, she might be the longest distance Forest Lake church member. We're going international, baby. <laughs> She's going to get baptized in a little river that runs through the center of town. May we be the message by being a missional church on his mission to share his message for his glory. Let's be the church. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, today I'm challenged because you're inviting us on your mission. Thank you for giving us a message that we can share with everyone that we're with. May you give us courage to share that message. God, we love you, and we can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name, amen.